Well, I am excited to walk us into the teaching portion, and we've got ushers coming down. If you want to get a sidekick journal, we're going to have a note-taking board up here, and I'd love it if you put the diagram down, take some notes as we're walking through this. There's some great things in the middle of the week, so glad you're in the room. If you're not in the room, I am thrilled. I'm taking it by faith. They look great in the room. I'm taking it by faith that you look great outside of the room, and we, I'm thrilled we get to do this together. We're in a series called Attributes of God. Now, here's how this study is going. Uh, Typical times we go, here's the word of God. How does this apply to our lives? How do we live it out? That's there, but it's more of a a less than factor. Our goal is to go, uh, these over the next, uh, through five weeks of this, these are five huge attributes of who God is know that. Just know that. And, and, a, and, and a great side effect is, well, then you're going to know what to do with that. But, but we are really going to focus today specifically on that God is a covenant maker. Last week, that God is creator. Uh, we're going to go that God is holy, that God is omni, that God is love. These are five huge themes that run all throughout the Word of God. Uh, thus, I'm going to tell you where we're going to go in just a little bit, because when we go there, we're going to go there pretty quick. So if you've got a Bible with you, great, or you got your apps, you can go to the back of the room and get one a Bible just like this for today, or you can take it with you. We're going to go, and we're going to study uh, Genesis 12, Genesis 15. This is when God is making covenant with Abraham, but it has huge effect uh, for everyone. Uh, we're going to go to Hebrews 11, which references that. And we're also going to be in Exodus chapter 20, where there's covenant taking place with all of, all of the, the Israelite uh, nation in that, that moment. Well, covenant, it's not necessarily a term that just rolls right off our mouth in everyday language. I will admit this to you. I was a pastor for many years before I really grew an awareness of covenant. It's there in scripture. It's everywhere in scripture. But Western mindset, Western culture doesn't just kind of necessarily leap out at us. Um, So we don't always say covenant or uh, if you're from the South, the covenant, or if you're from France, le covenant, uh, as as far as that goes. Uh, But we're going to dive in and look at what the Word of God says really in its fullness. You kind of got the passages we're going to, but we're going to start by looking at something our friends from the Bible Project put together that's going to talk about kind of Genesis to Revelation with Jesus being the center of covenant. So watch this, then we're diving in. If you've been around Christians, you've probably heard of the idea of having a personal relationship with God, which could mean different things in the Bible, like having God as a friend, or your father, or maybe your teacher. But there's one particular way that the Bible talks about this relationship that you find all over. But strangely, we don't talk about it that much, and that's the idea of a partnership with God. A partnership like working alongside someone to accomplish a goal together. Right, and this is actually what you see at the beginning of the Bible. God creates this good world full of all of this potential. And then God appoints these unique creatures, humans, as his partners in bringing more and more goodness out of all that potential. But the humans don't want to partner with God. They rebel and try to create a world on their own terms. And so this broken partnership is the Bible's explanation for why we're stuck in a world of corruption and injustice and the tragedy of death. 
it's not like there's just one or two humans who have bailed on this relationship. In the story of the Bible, everyone has abandoned the partnership with God. So what God does is select a smaller group of people out of the many, and he makes a new partnership with them called a covenant. And in a covenant, God makes promises, and then in exchange asks his partner to fulfill certain commitments. And the purpose of all of this is to somehow use this covenant relationship to renew his partnership with everybody else. Now, there are actually four times in the Old Testament that we're told God initiates a covenant relationship with Noah, Abraham, the nation of Israel, and King David. And it's through these that God is forming a covenant family into which all people will eventually be invited. So let's see how these work. The first one is with Noah. So in this story, God has just brought the flood to cleanse the world of humanity's corruption. And Noah and his family are the only ones left. And so God makes a covenant with Noah saying, listen, I know that humans will continue to be evil, but despite that, I'm not going to destroy it like this again. Instead, the earth will be this reliable place for us to work together. Great, so what does Noah have to do? Nothing. And that's what's so interesting about this first covenant is that God is promising to be faithful even though he knows humans won't be. The next time we see God make a covenant is with a man named Abraham. God chooses him, promises to bless him, give him a large family, lots of land where they can flourish. And in return, God asks Abraham to trust him and train up his family to do what is right and just. And the whole reason for this covenant is God says that somehow he's going to bring his blessing to all families of the world through this one family. So that's Abraham. The next time we see God make a covenant is when Abraham's family grows into the tribe of Israel. And this covenant is with the whole tribe. God asks them to obey a set of laws, which are these guidelines for living well as a community of God's partners. And if they do this, then God promises to bless them and that they will become a people who then represent him to the rest of humanity. That's the covenant with Israel. The last covenant is with King David. Yeah, the tribe of Israel has become this large nation ruled by David. And God asked David and his descendants to partner with him by leading Israel in obeying the laws and doing what is right and just. And God promises that one day, one of David's sons will come and extend God's kingdom of peace and blessing over all the nations. So those are the four covenants that God makes in order to restore his partnership with the whole world. But here's what happens. Israel breaks the covenant. They worship other gods, they allow horrible injustice, and so they lose their land and are forced off into exile. So it seems hopeless. But during this time, Israel's prophets talked about a day when God would restore these covenants in spite of Israel's failure, somehow. Yeah, they called it the new covenant. And this is actually what's so interesting about Jesus is that he's introduced into this story as the one who fulfills all of these covenant relationships. We're told that he's from the family of Abraham, and so he will bring the blessings of that family to the whole world. We're told that he's the faithful Israelite who was able to truly obey the law. And we're told that he's the king from the line of David. And so he goes about extending God's kingdom of justice and peace to all. And that's really remarkable for one guy. Yeah, and what it highlights is perhaps the most surprising claim of all made about this man, that Jesus is no mere human, but rather God become human. And God did this in order to be that faithful covenant partner that we are all made to be, 
but have failed to be. And so through Jesus, God has opened up a way for anyone to be in a renewed partnership with him. So Jesus calls people to follow him and become part of this new covenant family. And despite their failures, Jesus is committed to making them into partners who are becoming more and more faithful. The story of the Bible ends with a vision of a fully renewed world, full of goodness and peace. And there's this renewed humanity there, partnering together with God to expand the goodness of his creation. And so the end of the Bible story is really a new beginning. That is good stuff. Let's dive in to Genesis chapter 12. The Lord said to Abram, go from your country, your people, your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and curse whoever curses you. Hang on to that. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Now, at this time, Abram was 75 years of age. He takes his wife, Sarah, his nephew, Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated and the people they had acquired while in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Lord God Almighty, we thank you for your words. Lord, as your people and your word interact today, may our lives be firmly in a covenant relationship with you. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your grace and your wisdom you extend. We want to receive everything that you want to pour into our lives. In your mighty name, amen. Well, as we walk into the Word of God, and we're going to put a diagram up on the board, the first thing that we learn about is that uh, God says to Abraham, and it's Abram right now, for what it's worth, uh, go to a land I'm going to show you. And Abram goes, all right, then I'm going to do that. So it's a journey story. It's a walk. God's saying, I want, I want you to walk with me. I want you to go where I'm leading you to go. How many of you enjoy, uh, uh, you don't have to raise your hands on this, but let me, let me put it this way. Some of you are the, hey, let's go on a walk person in your family. I tend to be that person. I tend to be that person, uh, just talking to some folks before the service, it was, hey, what are you going to do this afternoon? We're going on a walk. I haven't actually talked to anybody else in my home about going on the walk, but I'm envisioning that we're going to go to Eastmanville Farm and take the dog out and all that kind of stuff. Now, when I was a little younger and I was getting acclimated to being part of Terry's family, the Van Cleve family, we would have Thanksgivings together. And in having Thanksgivings together, mom and dad Van Cleve, after Thanksgiving meal, they did something different. We didn't plop down and watch football. Football's on all the time. You always kind of turn on football. They started packing up the meal some things went in the fridge and other things started going in a cooler and there's uh, uh, ice skates from Goodwill. There's other outside kind of adventures and they're all going on sleds and toboggans and lo and behold, we're going to go on a walk in, in the middle of what is winter uh, to some forsaken riverland and we're actually going to put those Goodwill skates on and get on some thin ice and we're going to go uh, take a hike and see how many critters we can see and light up a fire in the middle of the snow and that's what mom and dad Van Cleve wanted to do and you know what? It was a glorious walk. But there's something about that. There's something about walking together that your parents really dig. Your heavenly parent loves to take a walk with you. Well, and it's not just 
any kind of walk. It is, Abram, I want you to go someplace and you don't know where you're going. So it's a faith walk. <laughs> I remember it felt like a faith walk the first time I went, where are we going? And we just kind of kept walking and walking and going down the river. There's, there's times that we do that. Uh, so Abram, it's referenced the region of Haran. Well, that's where he was, but before he was there, he was in a place called Ur. And his father had traveled out of Ur when Abram was an adult. And you can even indicate there's some things implied. You wonder if his father, Terah, was even intended to go all the way to Canaan, but land the promised land. But we don't necessarily see that per se. And God speaks to Abram. And the land that Abram had come out of, Ur, was... Uh, it was the Fertile Crescent. It was Mesopotamia. It was the place where there was prolific idol worship. Uh, the, big, the big idol god was Nanu, the moon god. They loved worshiping the noon, noon, moon god and uh, the sky, the sun intertwined. And so you're looking at the ziggurat of Ur and this was something that, that Abram would have been accustomed to and culture centered around worship of the moon god because you could set your calendars by it. By the cycle of the moon, you would know when to plant your crops. You would know how to raise your cattle. You would know all kinds of wisdom and knowledge from looking at the starry host, from what the sky did. And what's happening for the good people of Ur is they wind up worshiping created things instead of the creator. Ah, it's a good thing nobody does that nowadays, huh? Ah, uh, we, <laughs> it, it never goes away. We, there, there's always an every era, there's always the pull to worship good things that are created as opposed to worshiping the creator. So here's one thing Abram does know, that he is, he's getting out of that. So we're gonna, we're gonna visually put up, I, I put feet up last week. I want, I want a second chance, but, but they made me a template. I didn't do very well drawing feet last week, so they gave me a template. And uh, so there is a real faith walk with God that is happening. They, they told me which one was the left foot and which one was the right foot. So that was the left foot. And now here's the right foot. And so Abram knows he's walking away from idol worship. But he isn't fully aware of what he's walking towards other than he's walking with God. Now, now, we're going to learn about God, but I'm going to put us in Abram's shoes for just a moment. <clears throat> Have you ever made some, some moves? God's in journey stories. Uh, and when you've made a move somewhere, you haven't always known exactly what you're getting yourself into, but you're probably pretty aware of what you're exiting. So I'll tell you a few moves that I've made, but I want you to really think about moves that you've made. When I was six, I was born in Owasso, Michigan, moved to Oklahoma. And uh, when, when the time I was 22, I moved to Kentucky to go to school in Kentucky. And when I was 25, I moved to the state of Wisconsin uh, to pastor a church there. And when I was 41, we moved here. And when, to West Michigan. So in that time in Oklahoma, what I didn't know what I was moving towards, it was I got to be part of a church where, where the DNA was, this is a place where people pray and miracles happen. 
It was a place where the lead pastor prayed for 100 people, uh, young people, to be called into full-time Christian ministry, and I got to be numbered amongst one of that. I didn't know I was going towards that, but that's what God had for me. I met my wife while in Oklahoma. Uh, wonderful education things in Kentucky while I was in Wisconsin. Yeah, that was a foreign land. Uh, I lived in, you know, I remember it was like the frozen tundra, the cheese heads. It was a culture like I had never been in before, and yet we were fully embraced by people, and I, and I learned kind of in a foreign land what it meant to be brothers and sisters in Christ in a church family. It was a beautiful thing. And then I felt, then I felt I had like this Abraham kind of moment where God said, uh, yeah, you're going to go to West Michigan. I'm perfectly happy here uh, with the cheese heads. They seem to be wonderful people. But God said, no, you're going to go there. And I, some of you have heard me say this before, but I, I was trying to, you know, how do you tell your wife? You just go, hey, uh, Terry, I feel this strong pull that we're supposed to move some states away while we've got four children in school. And she told me, she said, Jimmy, you'd better listen to the Lord and you'd better hear from the Lord because I don't want to rebuke if you don't do what God says. Basically, she's telling me to get my act together because we're probably got to go and I'm dragging my feet on it. So that's when I learned about prayer and fasting. That's when fasting started kicking in. So in this moment where I'm praying and understanding, God, you, you, you have some things for me as I move to West Michigan and I don't you know, fully get it, but I, I'm, I'm all in but what about my family? And it felt as if that audible voice said, Jim, if I've got something for you, don't you think I have something for every person in your family? I wanna ask you, what kind of movement might you be in right now? And one of the dynamics is, you're probably walking away from something. You're walking away from some kind of situation, no matter how good it is, but there could be idolatrous atmospheres there. Praise God you're walking out of those things. And you might be walking in to unknown things. Praise God he's got something for you there. Because it might be, you might not move states, you might move from one home to the next, you might move from one job to the next, you might move from one grade to the next, from one different kind of school. God's got something for you there. And the fact that you don't know it God loves it because God wants you to faith walk. God loves it when you put your trust. It says, by faith, Abram, when called to a place to go that he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he didn't know where he was going. That's from Hebrews, reflecting back. God loves that kind of stuff. Um, he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. There's this sense that when God makes promises to us, and Abram saw some of these things come to play, come to place in his life, but, but he didn't see every one. There's always this kind of now and later dynamic that seems to be at work when God is making promises and we're walking faithfully. Sometimes things just take longer that there's other seasons or chapters in life when those faith walk moments will really be realized. Or sometimes they're gonna be realized in, in future generations. And, that, and that's all good. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, because he was well into his 90s when the kids started coming along, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless on the sand and the seashore. So one of the ways that we talk about a faith walk, this is, this is an okay prayer, but it's not a faith walk prayer. 
God, I'm going over here, help. <laughs> God, I'm walking into this, I'm gonna need you. Here I go, God, help. That, that's, that's a prayer of petition. It's not necessarily a faith walk prayer. God, where are you going? Where are you leading? I want to follow. Now that's a faith walk prayer. Where is your spirit moving? Where are you leading? What is the attitude I should have today? What are people I should approach today? What are atmospheres I need to set today? God, illuminate my mind. That's a faith walk prayer. God loves journey stories. And some of us, it says in the 23rd Psalm, and he leads us through the valley of the shadow of death that we know what the valley of the shadow of death is like. Whether it's just kind of a shadow and God takes us through and like, whew, that was not nearly as complicated as I thought or it is actual someone physically has, 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 has given up breath on this side of eternity but God's got a resurrected body for them in God's presence and so we realize that we are just in the shadow lands but God walks us through those moments. God leads us in every situation where we need to be led. Now, Going back to Genesis 15, after this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. And Abram basically goes, really? Are you really, God? And that's a wonderful passage of scripture. I'm your shield and your great reward. And Abram goes, really? Because um, I don't got any kids and you keep talking about descendants. I, I don't see this taking place as you promised. And God says to him, look to the sky. It's very interesting. Someone who would have grown up with worshiping the moon and the starry host. Hey, look to the sky. Count the stars if you can count them. I figured it was a pretty clear night on that night. And uh, if you can even count them, your descendants are going to be more numerous than this. And then it says that Abram, going, going flipping back to the Hebrew passage, that Abram believed and it was credited to him as righteousness. Abram went, well, God, if you say so, I don't totally see it, but I'm in. I'm the Lord that brought you out of Ur. This is what God says to him. I'm, a Lord, I'm the Lord your God that brought you out of that idol stuff. And I'm gonna give you this land. And he said, Lord, how do I know that I will gain possession of it? So Genesis chapter 15 now becomes a pretty complicated passage of scripture. I love reading through the word of God. I love reading through Genesis and reading through Exodus. I love those things. There's so much there. But for many years, what I'm gonna walk us through now, we go, yeah, that's, uh, we'll, uh, we'll just go to the next little section and, and move along from that. But Genesis 15 is incredibly poignant in what covenant is all about. These are some things when we wind up reading, we don't read with covenant eyes, and this has got a real covenant lens. So God says to Abram in this moment, yeah, I'll tell you how you know, uh, bring a heifer, a goat, a ram, a dove, and a pigeon. It's, it's if God's on the, uh, got, got the keto diet going on. We're gonna, we're gonna, okay, you know, no low carbs, you know, all that, no, no. So there's a sacrificial kind of moment. So the big critters are sacrificed, they're split in two, and they're divided along this pathway, and the birds are sacrificed and laid alongside, uh, and these birds, birds come and Abram drives them away. So what's happening right now is it's called they're going to, God and Abram, 
the term would be they're going to cut a covenant. The, the animals are being cut. There's other kinds of inferences that we'll hit in a little bit, but they're cutting a covenant. Darkness falls. Abram goes into a place of vision, and he sees two distinct elements take a, what's known as a covenant walk through the divided sacrifices. A smoldering pot and a torch. I'll go ahead and say this now. Uh, typically on covenant walks, each, each individual in the party making the covenant will walk through. Just know, Abram doesn't walk. Abram doesn't walk. Who walks? Well, a smoldering pot and a flaming torch would be images of God. Fire, holiness, God. God walked through for Abram and God walked through for God. God says there's aspects of this covenant, Abram, that I know you aren't going to fully be able to participate in. And when you can't, I've got you. Huge, huge. And that chapter ends by saying, on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said, to your descendants, I give this land. So what we're picking up here is there's a pattern that is going on in Scripture. Pattern meaning it's repetitive. The dynamic of covenant, it's all over the place. And even in these things where we don't totally uh, know in regards to context what's going on when we understand how the people in that era lived, we go, oh, that's a big deal covenant moment. And not only that, we're going to call this a design pattern because covenant is part of the original design. Even when you go to the first two pages in the Bible, Genesis 1 and 2, you see all kinds of covenant things taking place. God digs covenant. This is how God's going to do relationship. Whether we, whether we fully understand it or not, this is what God is up to and this is what God is doing. It is part of a design pattern, child of God, that it's, that it's good for us to understand. And whether we fully understand it or not, God's still gonna work this way and we can enter in, but how blessed when we do understand it even a little more. So as we say it's a design pattern, we're gonna put up a little design pattern and we're gonna walk through some of the aspects of and patterns of covenant we're going to put some words in these. So the first one is this, cut, to cut. Well, they, they would cut a covenant in regards to the sacrifice of the animals, and, and they would walk through. So there's this covenant. Uh, I'm going to put walk over here. They do that walk. Think about, let's do this first. It would have been normal for individuals I'm gonna pick on my friend Brett and I'm gonna pick on Kevin, kind of in the middle right here. Uh, if I were to approach Brett from a hillside away, Brett might wave at me and I, I go, I will wave back. And it's kind of saying hi back in this era, but what Brett is showing me, he may be showing me a cut on his arm. I can see a scar on his arm which means he has gone through a blood brother pact with someone, say Kevin. I may or may not know Kevin, but when Brett waves to me, I understand not only, not only Brett and Brett's household, but somebody else or some somebody else's. They're, 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 it's like one. 
It's like there's a sense of, I am partnered with someone more than just me, so watch your step when you come around. That was an indication of what's taking place. Okay, and by the way, whenever you see things getting cut, like circumcision, sign of the covenant. It's like cutting a, cutting a covenant. There's exchanges that are made in covenant when you see clothing exchanged, when you see names exchanged, when you see weapons that are exchanged. Those are all incredibly significant. Sometimes in the New Testament, it talks about putting on new clothes and having new clothing. It's a sign of the covenant. Uh, names are exchanged. Abram, you notice we're interchanging Abram and Abraham. Well, at some point in time, God says, you're no longer called Abram, you're called Abraham. He gets the, the Yahweh sound of God. Sarah is spelled a certain way, and she's Sarah with an H. She gets the Yahweh sound in, in her name because there's a covenant that's going on. And there's all kinds of times in the word of God that we see things, and it never fully says covenant, 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 but that's what's going on. After David defeats the giant Goliath, Prince Jonathan, son of King Saul, gives David his weapons gives him his robe. What's he doing? It's an exchange of clothing and weapons. Your enemies are my enemies, and my enemies are your enemies, and I am you, and you are me. And Saul was indignant because his son, the prince, made a covenant with the upstart David. And Jonathan and David lived out incredible covenant friendship with each other, even though they were supposed to be rivals for the thrones, but they were never rivals with each other because they were covenant partners. It wigged, wigged Saul out immensely. Uh, there's a dynamic that takes place with meals, blessings, and curses, and oh, and on some occasion, there's even the exchange of a child. So you notice the blessing and curse dynamic here. It's, it's a big part. So a covenant meal, they share food. Uh, but we can even go into Genesis 14. This is after Abram rescues Lot. He's actually got covenant friends. There's three of them that go into this battle that he's aligned with, and they rescue Lot. Abram gets 318 armed, uh, trained men from his household, plus the others from, the, from, from Mamre and Enol and Eshker's household. And then Melchizedek, I know I'm throwing a lot of names around, comes out, and there's this meal that's shared. Can you think of another time that there's a meal shared? This is my body broken for you. This is the blood. There's a covenant meal. Uh, and the, the walk that we talked about. And the blessings and curses happen in the mealtime. Like, blessed are you. May your, may your land be fertile and may your children increase and may your tribe increase if you keep these covenants. But may the fleas of a thousand camels infest your armpits if you do not uh, keep these covenants. Well, all of a sudden, as we read the Bible, the book of Deuteronomy makes a whole lot of sense because it's all filled with blessings and curses. What is it? It's just part of covenant relationship talk. Uh, you read the prophets and the prophets talk, woe to you, and blah, blah, blah. It's like they're, they're looking into the walk that Israel had with God, and they're speaking the blessings or curses. Or sometimes the prophets are speaking to foreign lands, to Moab and Ammon, because, because they have cursed the children of God, so they realize that God is going to curse them. So a lot of the word of God is this stuff here in regards to the outpouring of covenant. And then when you get to Genesis chapter 22, that whole scene where Abram takes Isaac up to Mount Moriah and there's this thought of sacrificing Isaac uh, because people in covenant relationship exchanged children. I tell you what, that, that means that you really are looking out for the welfare of one another when you exchange a child into one another's home. 
But remember, God walked through as torch and as flaming, smoldering pot. It was, it was indicated, I am the one who is going to cover the covenant when you can't. You're not sacrificing your son. I've already supplied for that. And it's a foreshadowing to the amazing things that God is going to do through his son, Jesus Christ. And I'm going to go, before we talk about, we're going to talk about this love relationship because when we talk about having a personal relationship with God, it is personal. It's, it's a covenant relationship that's faith walk. It's part of how the original design is put together. It's how God works. And let me just dance over here for <clears throat> just a moment. We learn so much in the Word of God in the first two pages of the Bible. So God exists in Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, uh, unique, but also same. The very first institution that God puts together is husband, wife, in a marriage relationship. And it is an image of God that we see what a covenant relationship looks like. So God is intending through marriage relationships that we give just a little snippet. Every household in pursuit of the heart of Christ gives a little snippet going, yeah, that's kind of what covenant relationship with God looks like. And that God creates things that life just begets life. And oh my goodness. So when the enemy attacks marriages, see a crappy marriage doesn't image God <laughs> because it's supposed to be two people committed together for long term, serving, loving, sacrificing for one another. And when that ain't taking place, it doesn't image God. So we do things like groundwork for couples. We do things like, hey, we're going to put a couple's night out. We're going to talk about having strong marriages. And the reason that we do uh, moments, it's not the only reason, but why we have our friend Lori Creed come and talk about uh, journey well with the LGBTQ plus community is that understanding that our identity is found in Christ, but we love like crazy everyone else and we want them to understand what God has for them. And, and may I say this, um, so, so husbands and wives coming together are a way that we, we do image the, the relationship of God. I want you to know, Jesus was a single adult. The apostle Paul was a single adult. Mary, the mother of Jesus, probably lived decades as a single adult in pursuit of the heart of God. And singles in pursuit of the heart of God are like married to God in this beautiful way. Without becoming a, a nun or a priest, you can do this and you image what God has for you in your identity fully and wholly. So my, my daughter, her name is Cindy. Her last name is Storm. She's married. Uh, it took me a lot of years to go through college and seminary and to be ordained. And I just, you know, I just wanted to really be a pastor, but I wound up being ordained and all that. Um, I'm trying to add up those years. Seven and a half years of school, uh, two years in ministry before I became ordained. Uh, my daughter on 30 Minutes uh, was ordained by some uh, company so she could uh, do weddings for people uh, because it is in her heart if people cohabitate together, there is something that misses short of the image of God because there's not that long-standing, I am 
fully on committed to you kind of peace. And uh, she says, oh, I've got so many friends. They just need to get married. I'm just going to take them out on a walk in the woods. I'm going to marry them. That's what I'm going to do. Uh, they're going to come back. She's done it once uh, right now. But, but there's a sense of people. That one of the biggest deals is this design pattern, love relationship, and how God is being imaged in our walk. Uh, so, and God spoke all these words, Exodus 20. I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. And what's taking place in this moment is God wants to marry the nation of Israel. It's this, we're getting into that love relationship thing and there's all kinds of covenant stuff that's going on. I got to uh, be the pastor at a wedding yesterday. See some of your faces that you attended that wedding. Stand beside Jacob as he watches his bride walk down the aisle and he just glowed. And as Riley came down and they began to exchange vows, um, she's just tearing up, but they're like tears of joy. And I am reminded once again uh, how beautiful covenant relationship is and that God wants to marry us. So there's this personal relationship that we have, but there's also this kind of community, family of God relationship that is also uh, taking place. In the same way, after the supper, Jesus takes the cup. Note the words. And he said, this is, cup is the cup of my blood, which is what? New covenant. It's poured out for you. God loves you, all y'all, so much. It's an empty tomb, by the way. <laughs> he loves you. For God so loved the world that he would give his one and only son, that whoever would believe in him, he defeated death, would not perish but have eternal life. Your, your, your enemies, God's got your enemies for you. God's got you. God's defeated sin. God's defeated death. God wants to give you all kinds of good gifts. God is crazy in love with you. And so today, as we close our time together, I, I want to invite you to do something that, uh, that you kind of basically say, I do to God. And some of you said that, <clears throat> many years and many times over, and maybe some today, you, the Holy Spirit speaking to you, and it would be, yeah, this is something new and fresh for me, but it's exactly what I want to do. I want to say yes to God in my life. I want to be in covenant relationship. Would you stand together? And you're going to kind of hear wedding talk in this moment, and I will give you words that you, uh, let's just respond them to God. And if you're responding them, uh, fully on, or if you're just responding, just, I just encourage you to let the Spirit speak to you as you respond, or maybe you can let these come out of your mouth, and God's going to walk you through them and process them, but dearly beloved, hey, we have gathered here this day in the sight of God, and you as witnesses to renew the covenant relationship, or to begin it afresh with yourself and with the Lord God Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. And so we get into the vows right now. 
Dear friends, is it your desire to accept and receive the grace of the living God who defeated death through Jesus Christ at the cross and the empty tomb? And so now's the part where you repeat after me, okay? Phrase by phrase, just put this out here strongly. Repeat this. It is my desire to receive God's amazing grace. Good job. Keep it up. Thank you, God, for the gift of grace. Thank you, God, for Jesus, the risen Savior. Thank you, God, for the gift of the Holy Spirit. Good, good. Listen to this part. Dear friends, is it your desire to walk with God and be led by the Holy Spirit who gifts, comforts, corrects, and directs? And now here's another repeat after me phrases. Here we go. It is my desire to walk with God and be led by God's Spirit. Surely God's goodness and faithfulness will follow me all the days of my life through the valleys of death and the blessing God brings and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. All glory be to God.